only a matter of what or who. Now, are there any 90s babies out there who remember the 90s, okay? One of the, one of the uh, best movies of the 90s was um, City Slickers. Anybody seen the movie City Slickers? Okay, yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, Billy Crystal plays a middle-aged guy in a boring job, boring apartment, uh, and a boring life, and he goes on a two-week uh, cattle drive with his best friends. He meets a real cowboy played by Jack Palance, a guy named Curly, um, and Curly uh, they're, they're out uh, rounding up cows, and Curly looks at Billy Crystal and says, I'm going to tell you the secret to life. And Billy Crystal said, okay, what is it? And Curly holds up one finger. And Billy Crystal says, what, your finger? He goes, no, this, one thing, just one thing. You stick to that, and the rest don't mean something you can't repeat in church. <clears throat> okay. And Billy Crystal says, well, what's the one thing? And he says, that's what you Got to figure out. One thing. Now, everybody, like Curly says, everybody has one thing that drives them. Okay, one thing. Uh, ancient Christian writers referred to this as the divine center, the, the thing that your life emanates from, uh, the thing that drives our thoughts, our words, our actions, our, our everything. Uh, put in simply, simpler terms, your number one priority. Everybody has a number one priority. Uh, I had a professor in seminary that, that asked us this question, what do you hold on to after you sacrificed everything else? What's the one thing that you hold on to after you've sacrificed everything else? See, guys, every heart has a throne, and every throne has something sitting on it. And whatever is sitting on that throne, you all, is what you worship. It's what drives you. You say, well, I don't serve anything. I'm a free man. I'm not a slave. Yes, you are. God made it that way. Um, you will serve something, just a matter of what. Or who. And what God wants for all of us this morning, and those of you who are joining us online, is for Him to be on that throne. Because only when God is on the throne of our hearts, He's our number one priority, that He is the one thing that we hold on to after we sacrifice everything else. Only then do we experience true freedom. In the book of Mark chapter 5, Jesus encounters a man with something else driving him. Jesus finds him in a terrible state, okay? Just like he finds a lot of us, just like he's found a lot of us. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, Mark 5, 1 through 5. They went across, they being the disciples, across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came to the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but, uh, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs. He, and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Okay, so Jesus finds this man, and this is his current situation. The first thing is he is away from his community. You catch where he's living? He's living in tombs. No one has ever intended to live in tombs. Okay, he was living around dead people. Think about that. He's living around dead people in a place where dead people lived. So here's a question. How many of you all are living around dead people? How many of you live in friend groups of dead people? Not physically dead, spiritually dead, emotionally dead. Spiritually dead, bitter, angry, hopeless, 
uh, drama queens, gossipy, backstabbing, negative. Uh, you know, you, you, you have a friend group or a family or a place of business where there's no fruit of the Spirit at all. No love, no joy, no peace, no patience, no kindness, no goodness, no faithfulness, no gentleness, no self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is completely absent. And you say, well, Dave, you just described my life. You described my family. You just described my place of work. You described my friend group. You described me. Yep. That's where God finds a lot of us. We're living away from our community where we were intended to be. When something other than God is driving our lives, look where you wind up, around dead people. Uh, second thing that, he, that the current situation is that he's away from his purpose. Uh, God did not put together 23 chromosomes from his mom and 23 chromosomes from his dad and mold him together and sustain him and breathe the breath of life in him for him to live in tombs crying out and cutting himself. That is not what God created him for. And yet that is where he is living. He's away from his community, but he's also away from his purpose. Guys, that's what happens when God is not on the throne of our hearts, when something else other than God is driving us. We are away from what God created us for. And the problem is, is that many of us have just accepted that as normal. That that is, we, we have lived away from our purpose for which God created us for so long that we're just fine with it, we're just cool with it. And it's, it's nothing new. Ralph Waldo Emerson, back in the 1800s, said that most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Well, that is very true, as, as it, then as it is now. And guys, that is what it means when we're away from our purpose, where God found this man. The third thing, current situation, is that his life is out of control. Out of control. He wasn't in control of his life because something was driving his life, and it was evil. Okay, many of us aren't in control of our lives. We may not be running around in tunes, but we're not in control of our lives, are we? There's something driving us. Um, man, we've handed over the reins of our lives to things that control us that we never should have. You know, maybe people's opinions of you drive your life. Um, I've heard that there's a high correlation between the time spent on social media and personal debt. Isn't that interesting? The amount of time you spend on, personal, on, on social media is, highly, is positively correlated with the amount of personal debt you have, credit card debt, boat, plane, whatever, because you're comparing your life to what other people, say, are, are, what other people post. And that, that, is, that is something that's controlling your life. It's, it's driving you. You know, um, it, it, some of us have lives out of control because we can't remain consistent. The only thing consistent about us is our inconsistency. We're, we, we, our, our homes are out of control because we're not con consistently disciplining our kids. We're not consistently uh, you know, investing in our marriage, whatever it is. But our lives are out of control. Anyone who walks in your house will know that. Uh, maybe some of us have out of control lives because of addictions or because we're constantly negative and insist on seeing the worst in every person in every situation. And that's what controls. We literally can't be happy. Some people aren't happy unless they aren't happy. Is that you? Well, the fourth thing he finds, current situation, is that he's centered on something other than God. This man is centered on something other than God. I found that in life that God doesn't play second fiddle, y'all. Either he's number one or he's completely gone. I, I, it, it's, it, we have this strange thought that God will just kind of take whatever he can get. Maybe. You know, I mean, I was in church today. You know, God, just, just, just be happy with that, okay? Um, well, here's a news flash. God isn't a desperate 
freshman chick hoping that the senior quarterback notices her and condescends to speak to her. That's the way a lot of people think God is. Oh, oh, he, oh, he prayed to me. Oh, isn't that wonderful? It's not the way God is. He isn't number one. He isn't there at all. When our lives aren't centered on God, you all. When he isn't the number one priority. He has a major problem with that. More than that, we have major problems. He doesn't play second fiddle. He's not going to compete. He's not going to share the throne of your heart with anything or anybody. If he's not number one, he's not there. Okay? Fifth thing that we find is that he's hurting himself. The scripture says he cried out, cried out and cut himself with stones. Now, there are people who literally do that. When I was in youth ministry back in the mid-2000s, cutting was a huge thing among teens. Probably still is to some, to some uh, that, that's, that's what was going on. The end result of allowing something other than God on the throne, throne of your heart is that you hurt yourself. We hurt ourselves, whether physically or mentally or just in life. When something else is driving us, when we make all kinds of dumb decisions that hurt us. I imagine if I opened the floor for testimonies of that, we'd be here all day. True? And they hurt others too, but mainly they hurt us. And we, like the prodigal son, put ourselves in the pigsty. No one else. Does that sound familiar? So is there anyone there right now? This is where Jesus finds this man. This is where he finds. This is the current situation. Um, is, is this your current situation? Maybe not fully, but all of us in here and online have some degree of this in our lives right now. And, and Jesus meets us right where we are. He's not waiting for you to come to him. He goes to you. And this next thing we find out with Jesus, uh, about Jesus' interaction here is that he's not a very good counselor. You know that? Let's look what it says here. Look, it says Jesus cuts right to the heart. Mark chapter 5 or 6 through 8. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. See, Jesus shows us here he's not a good counselor. He doesn't affirm him. He doesn't say, let's sit down for coffee. He doesn't suggest meeting over a course of six weeks to build a relationship first. He doesn't say, I'm okay, you're okay. He doesn't say, so what I hear you saying is, no. He goes straight to the problem, and he names it, and he calls it out. Straight to the heart. I found that God does that, you all. When, uh, when, when many times we are where we're not supposed to be, doing things we're not supposed to be doing, prioritizing things we don't need to prioritize, he's not diplomatic. He lays a conviction right here. He goes straight to the heart, and I love that about God, because what that means is he loves us too much to dance around. He loves us too much to, to allow us to stay where we are. He goes straight for the heart. And the reason he does that because Jesus is not into superficial change. News flash, you all. Jesus is not into window dressing. He's not into superficiality or just, he's not interested in small victories. What he doesn't say, let's go into town and get you a place to stay and clean you up a little bit. That He doesn't do that. In your life, Jesus isn't into window dressing changes either. I had a woman call me one time and ask me to give her son a call. Son, talk with her son and his girlfriend. They were living together outside of marriage. And she asked me to call him and try to get him to move out. She didn't want them living together. And I, I asked, is your son a Christian? Is your son surrendered to Jesus Christ? 
And she said, no. And I said, well, then me telling him to move out isn't going to do anything. And she said, yes, but they're committing sin. I want them to stop committing sin. And I said, yes, they are. I said, but unless he's a believer in Christ and has his sins covered by grace, it doesn't matter if he's living with her or not. Uh, him moving out isn't going to change his eternity. He can be lost living with her or lost living apart. It doesn't matter. Do you understand? It doesn't matter. See, that's what Jesus is not interested in. He's not interested in these little things. Jesus would not tell him to move out first. He would tell him, you need to surrender to me. You need to have your sins washed away. You need to be, you need to be a Christian. And then we'll deal with the other stuff. Jesus is into little things. Okay? He's into... Uh, into the big thing. The problem was that Christ wasn't first in, this, in, in her son's life. I could have gone over there and tried to persuade him to move out. What good would that have done? Like I said, he was still lost. Jesus isn't interested in superficial. He goes straight to the heart, and that's what he does for me and you too. All right? He approaches and says, come out of this man, you impure spirit. All right? Because he loves you too much to leave you there. And then Jesus tells him to do something. Something very strange. Something very awesome. I love this. The second thing is that Jesus tells us to name our idols. In, in verse 9 and 10, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Okay? Every heart, like I said, every heart has a throne. And every throne has something on it. And who or what is on that is your God. It is what is getting your worship True. Okay? And you're serving it whether you realize it or not. Your life is revolving around that one thing. It's getting your passion. It's getting your thoughts. It's getting your finances. It's getting your time, your energy. Whatever is on the throne of your heart is getting all of you. And your life is moving straight towards it. And you're becoming that which is on the throne of your heart. Okay? And Jesus asks his name. Does Jesus not know the name? Jesus not know? No. Jesus knows exactly who it is. Jesus wasn't saying introduce us. Jesus asked for the name because Jesus wants us to name what is competing with him on the throne of our hearts. He wants us to have enough courage and enough self-awareness and enough guts to actually look him in the face and tell him what we've prioritized over him. That's why he says, what is your name? He's looking. He's saying, Who, what is your name? He wants us to name it because that is the first step from, in removing it from our lives. If that thing is anything other than Jesus, we've got an idol problem. So, Catalyst Christian Church, those joining us online, name it. What is on the throne of your heart? What is the one thing that you will sacrifice after, after uh, hold on to after you sacrifice everything else? Is it money? Is it comfort? Is it family? Is it spouse? Is it Jesus? It needs to be. It needs to be Jesus. That's the point. That's the entire gospel story, that, that it is Jesus and there is no other. Whatever's on that throne, whatever, whoever's on that throne is getting all of us. It's getting your best. It's getting your resource. Your entire life's moving towards it. And you're worshiping it and you say, no, I'm not worshiping it. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And like the demons in this man, whatever's driving your life is driving you away from your true home, your, your true purpose, causing you to hurt yourself and others. Jesus wants you to look at him in the face and tell, you the, tell him the number one thing. So people in this church, do you have enough guts to do that? 
Are you real enough with God to be able to look at him and say, Lord, I've been calling myself a Christian all this, all this time, but quite honestly, I love my family more than I love you. I, I, I'm, Lord, I, I, have to, I have to admit it, that I, I just I love money more than I love you. Like I said, it doesn't have to be a demon. See, guys, what I've found about Satan is this, that Satan is happy with anything, anything on the throne of your heart as long as it isn't Jesus. doesn't matter what. It could be something awesome like your family. As a matter of fact, the, more, the, 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 the better it is, the more wholesome it is, the less likely you are to see it as a problem. Okay? The less likely you are to see it as a problem. And then he wins. The less evil it is, the less likely we are to see as a problem. One of my professors at Asbury Seminary, Dennis Kinlaw, who's passed on, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he had this quote that, that, that it's just amazing. Check this out. It's, it, it's, follow along with me here. It says, Satan disguises submission to himself under the ruse of personal autonomy. He never asks us to become his servants. Never once did the serpent say to Eve, I want to be your master. The shift in commitment is never from Christ to evil. It is always from Christ to self. And instead of his will, instead of God's will, self-interest now rules and what I want reigns. And that is the essence of sin. You guys see how, how sneaky that is. Every one of us has fallen for it. This year... I've seen fear take the throne of people's hearts. And people that I never would have thought, it drives them. There are friends of mine who are no longer friends of mine. I've lost friends this year. You probably have too. I've, I, I know people that see anyone without the same fear as them, as the enemy. People who are friends and aren't now. Family, people you used to worship with in church are now the enemy. It's driven us away from community, from friends, from our church, from our family. We've allowed that. So I'm here today as your pastor imploring you to remove whatever it is on the throne of your heart and place Jesus there. Here's the truth. When we get truly look Jesus in the face, name it, and we remove it, and we move God onto the throne of our heart, this is what happens. Number three, your idols won't go quietly. They won't go quietly. Verse 11 through 17, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Footnote, let's hope they're able to get that and make some bacon. Let's hope, okay? But verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in, in the town in the countryside. And the people went to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now, you can imagine the sound of 2,000 pigs committing suicide. You imagine how loud that is? how loud that was. You imagine what a huge thing, 2,000 2, pigs. When Jesus delivers you from your idols, they don't go quietly. They make a lot of noise, y'all. It may hurt the people around you. You may have to say goodbye to a girlfriend or a boyfriend. 
You may have to say goodbye to a friend group. You may have to leave your place of business. You may have to pack up and move to another town. It's not going to be easy because when we have built our entire lives around something, that's our whole friend group. That's our whole life. And moving away from it isn't always easy. You know, they'll try to come back. Remember, the reason they were there in the first place is that you valued them. You loved them with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why he put them there. So it would be very easy for you to put them right back on your throne. Any addict that's relapsed knows that. Happens all the time. That's why you have to be vigilant. That's why you can't just remove an idol and leave an empty throne. Because that idol will come back. That's what I see a lot of people doing. You have to remove the idols. And you have to place God there. See guys, it's hunting season, deer hunting season right now. And in the Kibler house, that means it's venison time. I don't know if any of you all know it or not, but I love venison. It's my favorite food. I love it. Okay, this is the only time of year I get to eat it. So December in the Kibler household means all kinds of stuff. Uh, brown sugar Worcestershire deer jerky. Oh yeah. Uh, deer jerky, uh, deer chili, steaks, burgers. We eat well in December, okay? And uh, a couple nights ago, I made up some, some chili. It's my favorite. And unfortunately, I, don't have, I, I, I know when I get full and then I go a little bit further, okay, uh, with the chili because I can eat that all day long, especially on a cold night, hot, hot bowl of chili. and Oh, man, it's incredible. Now y'all are all hungry. Um, but I ate so much the other night that when it came time for dessert, I didn't want any. E- even though the dessert was good, even though it was, it was something I really liked and really something I really enjoyed, I didn't want any. Why? Because it wasn't, no, no, no. It's because I was already full of something else. I was already full of what was better, and therefore I didn't want the lesser. And that's what happens, you all, when we move God onto the throne of our hearts. He so fills us and so satisfies us and so consumes us that we have no appetite for the lesser. Does that make sense, you all? It's not that we stop loving these things. It's not that they, 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 we're just full. We have no appetite for it. And that's what it means to be fully satisfied in God. When God's on the throne, you have no desire for that which is lesser. And then Jesus gives us a new focus, a new commission. Take this out, verse 18 through 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. I would too. Man, a guy saved my life, changed my life like that that, 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 that took away this thing that was possessing me and destroying me, and he removed it. I, man, I would want to go with him too. Look what Jesus says. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis of the ten cities how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. It was crazy to me, you all, just as a Christian, being around uh, church people and, and as wonderful as, as church people are, and y'all are my best friends and, and, and everything. As, but what's crazy to me is how many of us have been saved by Jesus from things that were destroying us, and we never say anything about him to anyone else. 
Anyone, does anyone think that that's crazy too? I think that's crazy. That in the church, we've been, I mean, I know the stories of most people in here and, and some online, and, and I know a lot of the stuff you've been delivered from, and every person who's a Christian has been delivered from hell, from an eternity in hell. You've been delivered from that, and yet how many of us are really saying much about it or about Jesus? How many of us really are? That's what Jesus tells him to do. I want you to think. You know, have people been, been delivered from addictions, from depression, from anxiety, from hopeless situations. From, I've seen marriages saved. I've seen, I've seen all kinds of stuff happen in the 12 years of this church have been around. And yet, man, how many of us have really done what Jesus said to do? Go and tell how much God has done for you how he's blessed you, what he saved you from. Jesus tells us something radically different. He says to go and tell how much the world, how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. See, I, I, I think the reason that we don't say that is because deep down, we are something called little godders. I'll invite the band to come on back up. I heard a story of a minister who was struggling. A lot of ministers are struggling this year. Didn't seem he ever saw God work. Never saw him do anything in the lives of his congregation. He was thinking about packing it in and leaving the ministry, going and doing something else. That Sunday, as he was preaching, he noticed in the front row the minister that he had grown, in, where the, the, his boyhood minister, where, where he had gone to church as a boy. His minister was right there, in the front row. And the entire time he was preaching, Ministers sat there and stared at him. You know how ministers do? You know, we stare at you. And he did nod his head, didn't acknowledge it, not saying anything, just sat and looked at him. After the service was over, the old minister came up to the, to the, the minister and asked him how he was doing. And the uh, minister told him his struggles, and he was thinking about just throwing in the towel because he just never saw God do anything. The old minister looked at him and said, there are two types of people in this world, son. As I call them, big godders and little godders. Those little godders have a little god. They're always in trouble with him, it seems. He can't do any miracles. Can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of scripture to us. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little god, and I call them little godders. He looked at the minister and said, Son, you're a little godder. The God you preached about today couldn't deliver demons from a possessed man, couldn't deliver a woman from heroin addiction, couldn't turn an abusive husband into a godly spouse. Shoot, the, the, the little God you gave us today couldn't even heal the sick, couldn't even give a, the, the, the little God you gave a sermon about today couldn't even create a sunrise. He said, son, I want you to become a big godder. Big godders have a big God. He speaks and it's done. He commands it, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. Big godders believe in a big God so powerful he can be trusted in every aspect of life, the minister said. Big godders come to church expecting God to do amazing things. They see God move all the time. The old minister stood up, walked towards the door, you don't need to leave the ministry, he said. You need to become a big godder. 
so does everyone. So the question I want to leave you with today, people that are here and people that are online, are you a big godder or little godder? You really believe that God has the power to deliver you from the things driving your life, the things you can't seem to have any victory over. Do you really believe in God, that God's so powerful, he can deliver you from that and replace that with himself and lead you to freedom? Do you really believe that? I'm going to ask that you do that today. And if you have never done that, I'm going to ask you this morning to surrender it all, to throw open the door of your heart, to clean out the throne. And for the first time, maybe in your life, allow God his rightful place in your life as the number one priority, the one we hold on to after we have sacrificed everything else. I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. And if you are ready to do that, if you, if you have never been baptized, if you have never become a Christian, if you have, we want to know. We want to know, just like we baptized Jason, we'll baptize you, and we'll throw a big party about it too. All right? And we will, and we will disciple and mentor you. If, if you are a Christian, you've been walking with Christ for, for a long time, but he's not on the throne of your heart, I'm going to ask you to repent this morning. Repentance is a good thing. That is what we all need to do. Kick the idol off the throne of your heart, whatever it is.